0: Welcome to a special Easter edition of In Grace. I'm Pastor Jim Scudder, Jr., and we're so thankful that we're able to be on the radio every day on American Family Radio in the evenings. In Grace is a half-hour broadcast, and Monday through Fridays, we talk about things from the pulpit of our church, Quentin Road Baptist Church, but on Fridays and weekends, we usually peel off and talk about some other things like archaeology or creation science or some sort of a Christian adventure with a message. But today, we're just going to be bringing you a two-part series put into one hour-long message that explores not only the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but the question, will I rise? We're going to talk about our resurrection. What does the Bible say about that? And how does that tie in with His physical, bodily resurrection? resurrection from the dead. It really does tie together, and it's a wonderful truth to know that because he rose, those that put their trust in him will also rise in glory and be able to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. So, I hope that you're having a blessed Easter season, and I hope that our message today really brings home from Scripture the hope that we have because of our Savior and his resurrection. The question on all of our minds, on every human's mind, I think, is, will I rise? Will I rise? If I put my head on the pillow, I close my eyes, I go to sleep. If I died, where would I be when I wake up? And I think we all have this innate knowledge that there's more than just this life. I believe that's built in. I believe that's something that we have that God created us with. Will I rise is the question. Well, there was a Sunday school teacher who asked the class, what is faith? And a little boy in a flash answered, teacher, that's when you believe something you know isn't true. Well, faith actually isn't believing in something you know isn't true. It's quite the opposite. Faith is believing in something you know is true. What's wonderful about this church is we don't ask you to check your brain at the door before you come in. I believe that you don't have to throw away intelligence and rational thinking in order to be a Christian because the Bible is rational. God is rational. God created us in his image to think, and I believe that Christianity is, is very rational. It's something that we can come in and we can study and we can know because faith doesn't mean you just close your eyes and believe in something that's not true. There are so many things that we have faith in in this world. You really can't function in this world without faith. How many of you go to the doctor and you demand to see the doctor's credentials, the doctor's diploma? Now, it might be up on his wall, but sometimes that's just a piece of paper. And you say, no, I want to see your, your grades. I want to see uh, your malpractice record. You know, I, 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 want to, I want to get into the nuts and bolts of this. I've never done that. Maybe we should do more of that. But we walk into the doctor and we trust the doctor or we trust the system. Uh, how many of you, when you walk onto an airplane, you demand to see the pilot's pilot's license? Now, a pilot's supposed to carry his license, but I've never demanded that. I've actually walked into the plane, the pilots are in the cockpit busy doing stuff. and stuff. You're not going to bother them. You want them to do what they're doing, right? You don't come in and demand, I, I, I need to see the maintenance record for this airplane. Now, maybe we should do stuff like that, but we, have, we exercise faith all the time. Now, if this was a terrible airline with a terrible record, you would probably exercise your faith by not flying with that airline. But faith doesn't just mean that you just close your eyes and jump. Faith, especially spiritual faith, is based in reality. It's based in truth. It's based in fact. So when we ask the question, will I rise, we don't have to just say, well, I hope so, and then we just jump. We actually have some solid evidence that we can base our faith on. Faith is really just belief in truth is what faith is. It's trust. And it's essential to life, and it's especially essential to eternal life. Why? Because we can't see or touch or taste God. But we do know that God exists. You say, how do we know that God exists? May I suggest that you look around. You're looking at proof that God exists. Just looking around looking at the other people, looking at yourself, looking at the world, looking at creation, looking at the flowers, the plants. Imagine walking into a garden. I love a beautiful garden. You walk into this garden, and you have a path that curves around, symmetrical, paved with, with pavers, You know, maybe pitched a little bit for the water to drain on both sides, You have a variety of different flowers placed in a certain way so that the the smaller plants and flowers are easy to be seen and then stepped up from there. You have these beautiful trees that have been pruned and shaped. You have a a well-watered garden where everything is getting just enough water but not too much water. You have all of this in this garden and it's just beautiful, but you don't see a gardener. What do you assume? We assume there is a gardener, because without a gardener, you're not going to see all of this. Without a gardener, you're going to see what my house looks like, (laughs) weeds, dead grass, trees that are going nuts. You know, you leave a tree to do whatever it wants to do, it will do whatever it wants to do. When you walk into the garden, you see proof of a gardener. When you look around in this world, you see proof of a creator. Just look around. Incredible design and complexity just within your own body. We spent weeks and weeks looking at that. We're still looking at the complexity and design and purpose and beauty of the world that we live in today. And it's a fallen creation. I mean, look around. That just proves there is a creator. Then the next question is, if there is a God... What is the next question, the next logical question, the question that at least I wonder, if there is a God, which we know there is by looking around at creation, can I know him? Can you know him? Can we know this God? John 1, in verse 3, declares Jesus to be the creator. It says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Do you know Jesus claimed divinity over and over in his life? He claimed to be God, and he proved his divinity by his many miracles and the way he would handle things. And of course, the most pivotal point of history is the resurrection, the resurrection. If he rose, he is God. If he rose, your sins have been paid for, If you believe in him, you have eternal life, if he rose. So that's really the question that we're gonna ask today is did Jesus rise from the dead? And how do we know? If he did not rise, he is either a liar, a lunatic, or a legend. You know, I'm always amazed at some people that don't believe Jesus is God, but they say he was a good man, he was a good teacher. No, he wasn't. If he claimed to be God, and was lying about it he can't be a good person right he's a liar or he claimed to be god but he's just crazy he's a lunatic or he was just a normal person doing good things and then he died and then centuries later people added stories and built him up into this amazing person a legend i say he's none of those but he is the living son of god and it all comes down to did he rise See, we're asking the question, will I rise? We can't answer that question until we ascertain, did he rise? Did he rise? So we will study that today and we will look at the historic facts of the resurrection, the recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You say, wait a second, Pastor Scudder, we're going to use Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as historically accurate books, but we know that those were written centuries after Jesus lived, and therefore they added in a lot of stuff that really wasn't there originally. You know what? Modern archaeology and research has proved that all four Gospels were written in the lifetime of a contemporary of Jesus. They weren't written centuries after. They were written in the life of Christ. A major famous archaeologist by the name of Dr. William Albright, he said this, there is no reason to believe any of the gospels were written later than 8070. Okay, what does that mean? Well, let me give you a for instance. I remember a man by the name of Ronald Reagan. How many of you remember in your life a person named Ronald Reagan? So let's just imagine a biographer writes a book on Ronald Reagan, and in the book he says, Ronald Reagan believed he was God, Ronald Reagan never sinned, Ronald Reagan paid for sins by dying and by rising again. We would all reject that book. That book would have no success. Why? Because there's way too many people alive at the time of Ronald Reagan. We know he never claimed to be God. We know he died. I've been to his grave there in in California, and that's where his body still is today. He didn't claim to rise again to be resurrected, nor did he rise So we would reject that, right? We would say, no, that's not true. How do I know? Because I was alive during his lifetime. And if all four Gospels were written before AD 70, that means that people were alive, many people were alive that were witness to Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And those things were never disproven during his life in the years just after his life. Jesus said five times in his life that he was going to die. Last time we looked at the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, predictions of the Messiah. Incredible, detailed predictions, including the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus himself predicted, and I'm giving you the verses in Mark chapter 10, uh, that he would die and rise again. Who predicts such things? I can predict I'll die unless the rapture comes first. But Jesus said in Mark ten thirty three, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, that was the way he referred to himself, especially Mark, shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles." and they shall mock him and scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. This is incredible. He predicts his own death by detail and resurrection. There was a man, an author, a British young author by the name of Albert Ross. He was using the pseudonym Frank Morrison. He wrote a book, Who Moved the Stone?, it's kind of a famous book. And uh, he decided to do the world a favor and for once and for all, just go through the evidence and prove that Jesus did not rise again. He's going to expose this fraud once and for all. He was going to do it in a methodical way. He's going to go through the facts in such a way and present them in such a way that it could be admitted into the court of law. And as he wrote this book... The first chapter he called the book that refused to be written. In it, he describes how as he examined the evidence, he became persuaded against his will of the fact of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as we study this pivotal point in history, I believe we will come to the same conclusion that that author did, that Jesus did, in fact, rise again. So let's study the historical record, and we'll look at Matthew's account of the death and resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're gonna look at Matthew chapter 27. We'll start in verse 59. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. Remember who Joseph was? We talked about the prediction that Jesus would be buried in the tomb of a rich man. And so it was Joseph of Arimathea, a ruler of the Jews, a secret believer in Jesus, went and asked permission from Pilate to take the body. And if the if the garden tomb is the place where Jesus was buried, which I believe it is, it would have been just uh, maybe 100, 150, 200 feet the most from Golgotha. So he would have taken that lifeless, precious body of Jesus and brought it over to his tomb, in verse 60, and laid it in his own new tomb. Remember, this was getting near sunset. Sunset was an important part. They had to get the body down before sunset, and he brought to his own new tomb. No person had ever laid in this tomb, which he had hewn out of the rocks. We know this was a tomb that was literally carved out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. By the way, the tomb that we go to in Israel, the garden tomb, has a track for a stone about that wide. So this would have been a very large stone, very heavy stone. And this was sealed and done. Verse 61, And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher, Now, the next day that followed, the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, this is interesting to me. They're going to recall that Jesus had predicted his own resurrection, but the disciples didn't seem to remember the prediction of his resurrection. Isn't that interesting? The unbelievers believed or knew more of what Jesus said than the believers. That's kind of sad. Saying, sir, verse 63, we, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure, or secure, unto the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, ye have a watch or you have permission to use the the guards, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Now, what exactly happened here? They went and made sure that that stone wasn't going to be disrupted. If it was, they would know about it. So they set a seal and they set a watch. The seal would have been probably a peg driven into the rock, which there's evidence of that at the garden tomb. Around that would have been a rope that would have gone around that stone, and on that rope would have been a seal, a wax seal, that would have been put in with the impression of either the chief priest or even Pilate himself would have made that secure. The guard, the watch, would have been a group of soldiers. Now, the the question has been asked, were they Jewish or were they Roman? By the words, you know, it's not super clear, but I'm pretty sure it'd be a Roman guard. The reason is because I can't imagine Rome allowing Jewish soldiers, even if it's a small number. They might have had a Jewish officer, someone that would have been part of that contingent, but I'm guessing this was a Roman contingent of soldiers that were going to stand guard. Not only was that tomb sealed, but also a group of soldiers that would make sure no one came to disrupt this tomb. And by the way, Roman soldiers were the best of the best. Uh, If they failed in their duty, if they were derelict in their duty, it was often death, death. So these were sharp soldiers, and this is the watch. We turn the chapter to Matthew 28, and we start reading in verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. That is today. That is Sunday. And at the dawn, that would be when the day would change in the Jewish life. For us, it's kind of midnight, right? Uh, but in Jewish life, it's the, uh, it's the sunset and sunrise The first day of the week, the sun is rising, on Sunday came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. By the way, they weren't coming, oh, I bet he's alive, let's go see if he rose again. Why? Because they were bringing spices. The body was so hastily wrapped and and prepared for burial that they wanted to come back and do a proper job after the Passover Sabbath and the regular Sabbath were over. They're going to come and do the proper job. They weren't coming to find if he had risen again. By the way, it's the women. It's always the women that uh, seem to be at the cross, seem to be uh, there. The men were all frightened and, or dejected or something. It was the women. And they came, and, and now verse 2, I believe, is in reference to before they came. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers, remember the guards, did shake and become as dead men. Okay, I think that would have probably been the case for all of us, right? We're, we're sitting there, we're, we're watching or standing there, and all of a sudden there's an earthquake, there's an angel from heaven, the stone is moved, and we would be almost paralyzed with fear. This was the narrative by those that were alive at that time. The angel answered in verse 5 and said unto the women, Fear not, ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Do you know that stone was moved not so that Jesus could get out, but to show that Jesus wasn't in there? Isn't that amazing? He is risen as he said, as he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And the ladies were able to stoop down and go in. They went and and told the disciples, Peter and John had a race. And John makes sure that in his account, we all know that he won the race. He goes and looks in, Peter's going in there and they see the grave clothes of Jesus still intact but deflated. Okay, that's incredible. That's incredible. And the wrapping that had been around his head was off to the side, separated and folded. Again, that's a whole nother sermon. You've heard dad preach that. The napkin is still folded. Jesus saying, I am coming back. So we have the account of the resurrection and you can read the other accounts in the other gospels. They're all spectacular. They're all incredible. They all fit with each other and are just wonderful, wonderful narratives of this once-in-history event. Once in all of history has something like this happened. Thank you so much for listening to our special Easter edition of In Grace. We are in the middle of a message called Will I Rise? And I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead and those that put their trust in him, in him alone, not a religion, not their good works, but in Jesus, the Bible promises that we will also rise. So I hope that you're enjoying this special Easter message from the Quinton Road Baptist Church in Lake Zurich, Illinois. Again, I'm Jim Scudder Jr., and we'll get right now, right back to the message. They were so afraid, those that didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that the disciples would steal the body. It says in Matthew 27, 65, they asked Pilate to set a watch. And Pilate said, you have a watch. Go and make sure that the tomb is secure. And they went and made the sepulcher sure. They, they put a stone and they sealed the stone. And they set a watch. These were more than likely a Roman contingent of soldiers that we're making sure that no one disturbed that tomb. Now, why is that amazing? Because the unbelievers were the ones that provide us today with the greatest proof that he did rise because they ensured that no one could say that the body was stolen. They were the ones that wanted to make sure no one mistook him for rising again by stealing his body, but they're the ones that ensured for all history that he really did rise. And in the wisdom of God, he allowed that to happen, and it gives me such great assurance as we study the empty tomb that he really is alive today. And now we come to the power what does all that mean to me in my life today? Because really, that's, that's maybe not all we care about, but that's a lot of what we care about. What about me today? How does that impact me today? And I've looked at 10 things, and we'll go through those today, uh, that the resurrection of Christ affects me today. The power of the resurrection of Christ affects me in these 10 ways. And by the way, we could do 100 uh, different things easily, the power of the resurrection brings to me into my life today. But for your sake, we're only going through 10. But look at Philippians 3, verse 10. The first part of the verse says, and remember, this is Paul writing uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about, previously he had said, I count all of the things I used to think were so important as, as nothing, as dung. But, but this is now what's important to me. And the first thing he lists was, it says, that I may know him. And knowing him, he includes the power of his resurrection. So the resurrection gives us power. What does that power do for me? Well, we'll look at number one. The power of the resurrection brings, this is incredible, forgiveness of sins. The Bible tells us that all have sinned. The Bible tells us that the penalty of sin is death, which we understand to be not annihilation or just being buried into the ground, but an eternal lake of fire called hell. The place that God designed for the devil and the demons, we all agree that they should go there, but none of us would ever want to spend eternity in a place like that. We're literally in chains. You ever seen a prisoner as they transport a prisoner? Maybe a straight jacket and and handcuffs and, and cuffs on his feet. Totally in bondage. You can't go anywhere. In chains, in bondage. And imagine ourselves in chains. The chains are sin. We were born in sin. We have sin. Sin is what separates us from a perfect and holy and righteous God and something comes along and breaks those chains. And we were before all bound up, and now we are free. That is incredible. The power that broke those chains is the power of Jesus' resurrection and our faith in a risen Savior. Literally, the chains come off. No longer are we bound by sin and the consequences of sin. No longer do we have to obey the flesh and the devil and do those things that we don't want to do. Now we have the power to do the things that God wants us to do, all because he has forgiven sins. We see in Scripture Jesus time after time forgiving sins. And and it was recognized early on by his detractors that that was only a power that God had. So he was obviously equating himself to God for only God forgives sins. 1 Peter 3, 18 tells us more about this. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. He once was on a cross. He once died for sins. Sins. The just for the unjust. We're the unjust. He's the just. He died for sins that he might bring us to God. Man, that's a wonderful short little sentence, isn't it? Bring us to God. Will I rise? Yes, if you put your faith in the risen Savior. Yes, you will. You will be brought to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. Quickened is the word made alive. Made alive. In Africa, it is told that if you belong to witchcraft, the witch doctor would come to the bed of someone that was dying and put in that person's hand a dead person's bone as a passport to the afterlife. Now that's sad. That's sad to me. You know what Christianity offers? Not a dead man's bone, but a living hand to grasp. Because your sins are forgiven. You no longer have to worry about the bondage of sin. You can now grasp the hand of a living Lord before forgiveness of sins, the chains bound us, but then there was the great power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he broke those chains. Number two, the power of the resurrection gives us a home beyond a home beyond there's a little girl who lived in a house right next to a cemetery and she'd have to walk through that cemetery to go to the store to go really anywhere and people marveled that she would be walking through the cemetery often at dusk it was getting dark and and it didn't seem to bother her as she was going home and they asked her one day they said why aren't you afraid of walking how many of you are kind of spooked by going through cemetery especially at night you know, it's just one of those things that we don't really care to do. But she said, hey, I'm not afraid because my home is just beyond. My home is just beyond. So she wasn't afraid. So when we go through the times when we're nearing death or we think about death, we don't have to be frightened because our home is just beyond. Just beyond the cemetery. That is an incredible truth. Let that sink in for a minute. Let's read Philippians 3 and verse 20. For our conversation, that's an old English word that means citizenship. Citizenship is in heaven. I don't know how many of you have a passport. Uh, We are uh, getting our passports ready for a trip to Africa this summer and the countries that we're going to all require visas. So we have to make sure our passport has a visa from that country and that it's, it's not expired and everything's all set, and you have to be really particular about that passport. And that passport of mine on the front says the United States of America. And I love my passport. I love it. I want to have a passport. Passport. That says the United States of America because it tells me and it tells everyone else that I presented to that I'm a citizen of this great country. But am I really? According to this, if you have put your faith in the risen Savior, your citizenship is in heaven. It's in heaven. That's where you really belong. So what are we now? Well, the Bible says we are sojourners. A sojourner is one, in, and it kind of harkens back to the days of Abraham, where they wandered and they lived in tents. Now I don't know how many of you, uh, your wife would just say, "Hey, let's sell the house and let's just get a tent." You know, Can you imagine how much that could save. <laughs> uh, it would last. You know, I, we've done a little camping. You know, we tried to do some camping when the girls were little, just to kind of make sure they weren't sissies. We failed. But uh, they were all, none of those were great experiences in our life. It was raining, storming, trains, planes, you know, everything went wrong on those camping expeditions. So we come back to this. Although we have this home that we live in here, where this isn't really our citizenship, this isn't really our home, for if you believe in a resurrected Savior... It's like we're we're sojourning here and our future home, our citizenship, is in heaven. Man, that's amazing. And you ask the question, will I rise if you've put your faith in the risen Savior, Jesus? Yes, and you have a home beyond. And when you walk through those scary moments of life, you just keep in mind that I've got a home beyond. And the lights are on. And when I get there, they have to let me in. We could spend a lot of time talking today about heaven. We don't have the time, but it's incredible the fact that that's our home. That's our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. Look back at Philippians 3, 20. From whence we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body. I don't know how many of you have no health issues at all. I'd have you raise your hand, but I don't know that we'd have anybody unless you're, you know, 13 or 14 you know I mean it's amazing how quickly our bodies deteriorate you have an ache or a pain Uh, we have some of you are dealing with serious uh, issues like cancer and it's it's heartbreaking for us to to see it but you're encouraging us the way you're handling it as a testimony to God but the bottom line is we're all going to have to go through some major physical ailments why because we have a vile body Our bodies that we live in today are, as soon as we're born, we're in uh, decline. Entropy is happening. The the law of thermodynamics of, of running down because the original creation wasn't like that. But when sin entered the world, we have these problems, these flaws, these even today genetic defects are getting worse and worse. And we're seeing that. We have a vile body. So part of the power of the resurrection is to change that who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned unto like unto his glorious body. So we're talking about Jesus, his resurrected body was a glorious body. And we will be changed like that. The power of the resurrection gives you that. According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Eventually all will be remade and remade perfect and new. You don't have to worry about cancer. You don't have to worry about death. You don't have to worry about crying. All those former things will be passed away if you have put your trust in the resurrected Savior. Man, I'm telling you, that's exciting. This power of the resurrection that brings immortality. That's our third thing that we find today, and we just saw that in Philippians three twenty-one. but we also find it in 1 Corinthians 15, and, and this is one of my favorite scriptures, just reading through this whole chapter, but this section right here in verse 51, speaking of immortality, behold, I show you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, that means uh, die, but we shall all be changed. In other words, there's a segment of people that will not face physical death. We call it the rapture. That's another sermon for another time. But the bottom line here is we shall all be changed. Speaking of believers, those that have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, you will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised. So those that have died in the faith will be raised You say, well, what if their body was lost at sea or cremated or whatever? You know what? God knows where all of those molecules are. He will regather that body and remake it, and it will be made perfect and glorious without aches and pains and problems. It's going to be awesome. The dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory. That is amazing. This thing that is so feared and misunderstood is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Remember the story I told about the dad and the boy that were driving along? The boy is very allergic to bees and a bee comes into the window. is hovering around the boy's head. The boy's freaking out, not sure what to do. The dad looks over and grabs the bee right out of midair. You know what happens when you grab a bee. The dad squeezed it, and let go. Well, the problem was that the bee didn't die. And the boy started getting all scared again and freaking out. The dad said, it's okay, it's okay. No, dad, the bee's still alive. No, and the dad opened his hand and showed the boy that the bee had stung him. In other words, that stinger was no longer in the bee. The dad had taken the sting out of that bee. And just like that, God has taken the sting of death for us, that we might be remade, incorruptible. The glorified body, it's hard to imagine what that's going to be like, but I can't wait. And the older we get, the more excited we get about our new body. The power of the resurrection brings immortality. There's a famous clock in Strasbourg, at the Strasbourg Cathedral. And it was designed by a brilliant man, and the mechanisms were so intricate and so complex that no one else could figure it out except for the maker. Well, the problem is, after the clock was installed in Strasbourg, the people didn't pay the guy. Well, all he did was he went up into that cathedral tower, and he put his finger on a certain place in the mechanism in the springs and touched it, and the clock stopped working. And he left. And the town people weren't happy with him at all because what good is a clock that doesn't work? So they brought in all these other people, artists and engineers and everyone, and they all looked at it, and they were trying to figure it out, and nobody could figure it out what they needed to do to get this thing working again. So they paid the man. He came back in. He put his finger in that very same spot and everything began to work again. You know what that reminds me of? The fact that we are living in a sin-cursed world and in sin-cursed bodies that are heading toward death. And we're excited if we make it to 80 and 90 or 100. I'm not sure if I'm excited to make it to 100 because I've seen the struggles that people go through when they get to 100. Either way, we're okay when someone lives to 80 or 90 or 100, but we're upset when they die at 40. I think we should be upset anytime anyone dies because death is horrible. Death is horrible. But then you have the creator that can touch and restore and remake the creation. And that's what's gonna happen because of the resurrection of Jesus to all that have put their faith in him. He can restore you and your body and make you immortal. That's the power of the resurrection. Number four, the power of the resurrection brings not only eternal life, but abundant life in this life. In John 10, 10, the thief comes not but to steal, to kill, to destroy. That's not what Jesus did. He came that we might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The life of the Christian. Some people say, well, you know, God is just out to steal my fun. And, and I don't want to be, I don't want to get saved and I don't want to believe in Jesus because then, uh, you know, what are we going to do? We're not going to be able to do anything fun anymore. You know what we do as Christians? The, the most fun we have, we all get together, we put our hands together, and we move our thumbs around each other. It's just awesome. You guys got to learn how to do this. We just sit around and we just twiddle our thumbs and we just have no fun. No, it's actually the opposite of that. The Christian life is the real life. It is the life that God designed us for. It's the life that brings fulfillment and joy and happiness. It's not some, you know, some pill. It's not some drink that's going to bring us joy. It's, it's our right relationship with our creator and him allowing us to live uh, in a right relationship with those around us. That's real life, and that's real joy. That's the abundant life that Jesus wants to give you. He's not trying to to take all the fun away. He's actually trying to give you what real fun is all about. Number five, the power of the resurrection brings great confidence. You know, part of the proof of the resurrection I gave you was that the the disciples were transformed from scared and ignorant to powerful and dynamic. Uh, Look at the verses here in in Acts four. Uh, We'll look at 33 and then we'll back up to 13. With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. This is incredible. This is Acts 4. We're only talking about a a few weeks, uh, uh, maybe a month since the resurrection itself. Before the resurrection, they ran away. They were scared. Peter denied the Lord three times. I mean, they, they weren't going to the tomb to see if he arose on the third day. They were huddled up and scared. What transformed them to be so powerful? The resurrection gave them confidence. And look at verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that these were the unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. See, they were with Jesus for three years, And what really changed them and transformed them and gave them great confidence was his resurrection. His resurrection can bring you that same confidence. You know, most people I find, even if they seem successful and, you know, like they've arrived, they're still very insecure. Most people are very insecure. Where will we ever get confidence? It it can't be in ourselves because we really have nothing to be confident about. Our confidence has to come In the fact that we've been with Jesus and we've experienced him and we've seen the resurrection and that's going to embolden us into very dynamic and amazing and confident people as a matter of fact look at the next thing the power of the resurrection brings the right words you know very often I'm not sure what to say you say now wait a second you're a preacher you're staying up there you just talk and talk and talk and you seem so comfortable I'm nervous every time I get up the only the only reason I'm not nervous uh, about preaching is because I have something to talk about. I have something that I, I, can, I can share with you with great confidence. And look at Acts 17, 18. Uh, this was Paul in Athens, okay? And remember, Greece was the center of philosophy. And certain philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics, the Epicureans were those that lived this philosophy of kind of live it up and and sensualism and all of that. And then the Stoics were those that uh, tried not to be swayed by the the moment or by the... um, the desires or the fears, you know, stoic people. So these were schools of philosophy that were in vogue in that day. And a lot of us are really nervous around people that seem really smart, okay? So some of them said, what will this babbler say? And some, he seemed to be a setter forth of strange gods because he, now this is what Paul did. In the face of this great wisdom of mankind, right, philosophy, They'd all figured out, you know, you have Socrates and others that were part of these these things. In the face of that, what do you say? So what did Paul say in, in the middle of these, you know, esteemed philosophers? He preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. I'm not sure what to say. My friend is Hindu. My friend is Muslim. My friend is atheist. Here's what you say. Jesus, the creator, the son of God, lived a perfect life. He died and he rose again. That's it. Preach Jesus and the resurrection. Now you have the words to say. You say, well, they might make fun of me. Well, they may, but you know what will else happen? They'll have heard the message of salvation and now the spirit of God will be convincing them of the truth of that. Wonderful. Part of the power of the resurrection. Number seven, the power of the resurrection brings guidance. Man, I'm telling you, we need guidance. There was a missionary in Turkey who was talking to a group of people there and he he was trying to explain to them the significance of Jesus and the resurrection. He said, imagine you're walking along on a road and you come to a fork and you're not sure which way to go. On one side, there's a dead person. On the other side, there's a living person. They will be your guide. Which one will you go uh, for guidance? And all the people said, well, of course, the living. And the missionary said this, then why send me to a prophet who is dead instead of to Christ who is alive? Do you want guidance? Do you want, I mean, we're always coming to that fork in the road that Yogi Berra said, take it, right? When you come to the fork in the road, take it, he said. Well, that doesn't help. We need guidance. We don't know which way to go. You're probably all facing something like that right now. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5, with all thine heart and lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. You want a living guide? The power of the resurrection gives you that in this life. Number eight, the power of the resurrection brings a solid foundation. It seems like everything that, that uh, we try to do is, is failing or falling over and, and sinking 1 Corinthians 3.11 tells us, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is a firm foundation to build on, your life on, your home on, your family on, and that is the resurrected Jesus. A great foundation, solid and stable, the rock that will not be moved. Number nine, the, the resurrection also gives you a person that can be sympathetic towards your plight, your, your needs, Ephesians 4.15 says, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched. In other words, you do have a high priest that can be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Why? Because he was human. The God-man, he lived a life. He knows everything that you're going through. You know, some people come to me and they tell me about a situation and I I say, look, I'm sympathetic towards you, I'll, I'll pray for you, but I really don't know what you're going through because I've not been through it. You know, every problem in your life, Jesus knows what you're going through. He's been there. He can help you. And that brings us to our final point. The power of the resurrection brings help. It brings mercy. It brings grace. Just in the nick of time, when you you think you're out of options, you have access to the throne room of God. For Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us therefore, based on the fact that we have a high priest that." is sympathetic, that does understand our plight and our needs. Therefore, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace. In other words, when you pray, there is someone on the other end that will listen, that cares. Isn't that comforting when you talk to somebody and they care? You have someone that cares. The throne of grace. I love that word, throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. Will I rise? Will I rise? You say, I want to rise. I want to rise. I want to have those 10 things that you talked about today from the Bible. I'll say this. Yes, you can rise as long as you have enough body to contain your soul. You say, what in the world are you talking about? Let me explain it this way. There was an officer that was from England and he was going overseas to the United States uh, to fight in the battle of the revolution. And he had uh, a girlfriend and they had just become engaged and, and, and you know, they weren't happy about being separated, but he says, you know, I can't wait to get back. As soon as I get back, uh, we're gonna get married. And he ships off, gets into a ship, comes over to fight the revolutionary war. He comes over here, and, and in a battle, he gets wounded so bad that his leg needs to be amputated. He writes to his fiancé, He says, I have suffered a serious injury. I'm now maimed. I'm not going to hold you to our engagement because I don't want you to have to go through life with someone like me. She gets the note, and with tears in her eyes, she writes him a note. And she says this, I am willing to marry you if there's enough body left to contain your soul. Isn't that something? If there's enough body left to contain your soul. In other words, while you're alive, you have the opportunity to be saved from your sins, to be saved to heaven, to have these other things available to you in this life. But as soon as your soul leaves your body at death, you have no longer an opportunity to be saved, according to Scripture. So, what are you going to do? It kind of leaves us at a crossroads. As long as you have enough body that contains your soul, you can be saved. So, I would like to give an invitation to you today, really from God, and that is get saved right now. You say, Well, I'm not ready. Uh, I, I I need to know more. Well, you know what? Ask God to show you. Go through the scriptures. Talk to people about it. But don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. That empty tomb we found today brings great power. Power over death. Power to live. Power to live an abundant life. Power to live... An abundant, confident life. Power to overcome anything, even death, even hell, even the devil himself. Have you received the power of the resurrection? If you have, this can be your saying, this can be your poem. No longer must the mourners weep, nor call departed Christians dead. For death is hollowed into sleep, and every grave becomes a bed. The power of the resurrection means that if I put my faith in him, I will rise. So will you put your faith in him and also rise? The Bible says that God loves you so much that he died for you. It says it right here in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. If you're in the world, you're included in that, that he gave his only begotten son. Now that's incredible. That's incredible if you dwell on that, the love that God has for you. To give his only son for you. That whosoever, again, are you a whosoever? You are. You can. You're included. Whosoever believeth. What does that mean? Believe means to trust, right? To depend on. So whosoever believeth what? Believeth in going to church and being a good person, believeth in giving to charity and being a good person and being water baptized and being a good person. No, believeth in him. This is Jesus speaking of himself. How can you rise, believe in him, should not perish, which is an eternal lake of fire called hell, but have everlasting life, a home beyond called heaven? You say, what... You're saying all I have to do is believe and I'm, I'm, I'm going to avoid hell and go to heaven. That's not really what I'm saying. That's what that's saying. And really, that's the only way it can be. Uh, we also like these verses. It's Ephesians 2.89. It says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. You know that word faith is the same Greek word as believe, just a different tense. Faith is the noun. Believe is the verb. And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. What's a gift? Salvation. Eternal life. You say, well, how do I receive the gift? Well, if you work for a gift, it's not a gift. If you pay for a gift, it's not a gift. The only way to take a gift is just accept it. How do you receive the gift that is called eternal life? Through faith. What is faith? Same as belief. Trust, depend, not on yourself, not on a pastor, not on a priest, but on the person and work of Jesus. Believe in him, faith in him, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is available to anyone who will simply believe that Jesus died and rose again for you, paid your sin debt on the cross, accepting him as your only way to heaven. That's it. And if you put your faith in him, you will rise. Th- this be sin and all of us have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus did not have sin, but he was made sin for us. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21, watch again. Jesus had no sin. We have sin. That sin separates us from God. We can't get rid of it. Therefore, God in his great love and mercy came, died in the person of Jesus. He rose again. Now, that is offered to you as a gift, his sacrifice. And if you'll trust in him, you'll have eternal life. That's it. And if you've trusted in him, you will rise. You will look forward to a wonderful, wonderful day in heaven and we'll have a new body and those things are so exciting to me i hope they're exciting to you he will help you through this life he will give you the words to say he'll give you confidence you'll know which path to take because you're holding the hand of a living savior you will always be alive you don't have to hold the bone of a dead person nor do you have to take the guidance of a dead person you have a resurrected savior and he will help you every step of the way. It all comes down to this. What will you do with Jesus? Maybe you have already come to the point in your life when you have understood that, yes, you are a sinner and you are hopeless and there is a God and God sent his only son to die for us on a cross. Jesus died and rose again and you've trusted in him and you have eternal life. Well, I just say, let's rejoice again and again and again in that. Let's thank God, not just on Easter, but every day for the wonders of salvation that he offers as a free gift to anyone who will simply believe and trust in Jesus. But maybe you haven't done that. This would be the perfect time. I actually think it is not wise to wait, not wise to put this off, because we don't know when our last breath will be. So my call to you is really God's call to you, Today is the day of salvation. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just simply say, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, but at this moment, dear God, I am put my trust in Jesus. And it's not even your prayer that's saving you. It's your faith. It's your trusting in Jesus. And by the authority of the Word of God, the Bible says you hath, that's an old King James English word, which means it's a present possessive tense, you have something right now that's called eternal life. That's the greatest news in the entire world. You can put your head on your pillow tonight knowing that you're redeemed, knowing that you're saved from hell, knowing that you're heading to heaven. You're sealed by the Spirit of God who now indwells you. And that, my friends, is the power of the resurrection and the knowledge that, yes, I will also rise Thank you so much for joining us on our special Easter edition of In Grace. If you have a prayer request, please call us at 1-800-78-GRACE or go to our website, ingraceradio.com.